He spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and anointed the man's eyes with the clay, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back, seeing the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Is not this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He said, I am the man. They said to him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. The Pharisees asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put clay on my eyes and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? There was a division among them. So they again said to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give God the praise, we know this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. 
They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you too want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is a marvel. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who speaks to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Glory to you, O Lord, glory to you. Peace be to you who proclaims the good tidings, and to all In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. I turned to Deacon about 30 seconds ago and I said, you're preaching, right? And I got the look. And I told him that uh, that's happened to me probably at least four or five times in my priesthood where a bishop, it was more like a, maybe a brother priest who said, you know, just share a few words, Father. You know, 60 seconds before everybody sat down to hear the homily. So, sure, and, and, and Deacon rightly said, you know, that's the grace of the priesthood. And I said, it has to be. Absolutely has to be. <clears throat> there are three things I want to address with you this morning in regards to the gospel reading. <clears throat> Excuse me. Some things that uh, sort of popped out as I was reading the gospel over and over uh, the last couple of days. And there are three things that I see working um, in this particular story of the blind man and Jesus. And that is divine providence, divine intervention, and then finally divine revelation. And I want to share with you some thoughts about that, and then I want to read for you a a brief story uh, that sort of illustrates that in another way. Because the, the, the story of the healing of the blind man, of course, is one that also illustrates this. So we know that God allowed this man uh, to be born blind, and the disciples were looking for a reason as to why this happened. They were curious. Was it due to the man's own sins, or was it due to perhaps the sins of the parents? Well, it really wasn't due to the man's own sins because he was born blind, and he didn't commit any sins before he was born. And 
The second question was, well, maybe it was due to his parents' sins. And of course, the apostles asking this question had a particular passage in mind. We know this can't be the case either, and the blessed Theophilact in his commentary on this passage reminds us that a child is not punished for his father's or mother's sins any more than mankind is punished for Adam and Eve's sin. We also know this to be true from the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 24, verse 18, where we read, And the sons shall not be put to death for the fathers, for everyone shall die for his own sins, not the sins of the parents. Some have proposed that the passage in the book of Exodus would beg to differ, though, where we read in 20, verse 5, I am the Lord your God, a jealous God, recompensing the sins of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. And they say, there it is. You see, that children will be punished for the sins of their parents. This passage, however, does not mean that. It is not to be understood that children are going to be punished for the sins of their parents. The passage, the one I just quoted, according to Theophilact, is not a universal decree applying to all men at all times, but only to those who came out of Egypt. So it was at a particular time and for a particular purpose and population. Our understanding of this passage from Exodus is twofold. First, children often fall into committing the same sins as their parents because they imitate what they see and what they hear growing up. Second, just as all of mankind suffers the effects of the sins of Adam and Eve, though not being responsible for that sin, so it is with children who offer suffer due to the sins of their fathers and mothers. In other words, the choices that parents make can often have everlasting effects on the lives and the well-being of their children. <clears throat> and that's for better or for worse. In the case of the blind man, he was not blind because of some sin that one or both of the parents committed. Our Lord is very clear about this. He even said in this passage, It is not that this man sinned or his parents. So why was he born blind? His condition was permitted so that the works of God might be made manifest in him. And this is the divine providence part. God allowed this man to be born blind for a period of time and for a purpose. The question can be asked, was it necessary that this man be born blind? Couldn't God have just manifested his power in other ways? And I suppose he could have done that, and he did in other cases, but not in this instance. And perhaps looking at this story of the blind man now, nearly 2,000 years later, we can make sense of it all. But if it was happening to us, or to someone close to us today, I wonder if we would have the same understanding, or would be questioning God at this time. Because it's one thing to look at the stories and the incidences in the Bible historically, and quite another to try to understand the workings of God as they are happening to us in our very lives. It's not always as clear. In fact, it's remarkable how easily our faith and trust in God is shaken when things don't go our way, or when things happen and we can't understand them. We can begin thinking if God really knows what He's doing, 
or maybe we have some suggestions as, as to uh, how we can handle things differently or maybe if even cares at all because of what we're enduring or suffering. But we also have to remember what the prophet Isaiah said concerning God's ways. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your way, the God, the Lord proclaims. So perhaps instead of pondering such a question as to why this man was born blind, we can look directly at how divine intervention, the healing of this man's blindness, impacted him. And that's the second point. Divine intervention. Our inclination may be to look at his situation from the standpoint of fairness, because we're short-sighted, whereas God is all-knowing. Our response may be more emotionally driven, whereas God's response is guided by his desire that all be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We focus on what is here and now, and maybe a little of what may or may not come in the future. But that is only guesswork. Whereas God's eternal and sees and knows all things perfectly. Our Lord said that this man was born blind so that the work, divine intervention, would be revealed in him. What we see as a tragedy, this man being born blind from birth, is actually a condition that would lead this man into the kingdom of heaven. This moment of divine intervention was a shadow of what God was offering to all of humanity. This man who received his eyesight would eventually depart this life and not be able to use his newly acquired sight to gaze on the beauty of this world or into the faces of his loved ones. For Jesus, giving this man sight was not the primary purpose of working the miracle. This was secondary. The primary purpose for giving this man his eyesight was to open the eyes of the man's soul so that he would gain his spiritual sight and recognize Jesus Christ as God, as Lord and Savior. Gaining this kind of sight would have an eternal impact, not just a temporary one. This man, his parents, his family, his friends were thrilled beyond belief to see this miracle and to know that their son and that their friend would now be able to look into their eyes and to see their faces. But for Christ, it was a very, very small thing by comparison. Both divine providence and divine intervention lead to the third, which is divine revelation. After receiving his sight, the man cried out to Christ, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him as God. The words uttered by this man, Lord, I believe, caused the angels in heaven to rejoice, not because a human being received his sight on earth, but because a soul was saved. The purpose for which Jesus worked this miracle had come to pass. So first, divine providence. The man was born blind for a time and a purpose. And these are the mysteries of God in his ways. Second, divine intervention. Christ spat upon the ground. He made clay. He anointed the eye sockets and sent the man to wash in the pool of Siloam. And third, divine revelation. Jesus Christ revealing himself as God and creator and bringing the man to faith and to eternal life wherein the man responded, Lord, I believe. Where do we fit in all of this? Do we think about God's divine providence or really try to see our life, our circumstances, 
and all that takes place day to day from the perspective of divine providence, God constantly working in our lives. Or are we blind to it and try to figure out why things are happening and whether it's fair or not, whether it's right or wrong? In what way is God's divine intervention presenting itself to us? Are we missing this too? Do we question God with what and why and how? Do we sometimes even believe that God is absent or forgotten us or if He really cares? If we're struggling with the first two of these, I can tell you we're going to struggle with the third one, divine revelation. Because it's hard to cry out, I believe, to God when we're struggling with doubt in God's providence and overlook the multiple ways in which God is intervening in our life. The truth of the matter is that no matter how we see things or what we choose to believe about what is going on in our life, God's providence is always at work in our life and for our salvation. So I want to share with you and end with a story out of a book, the writings of St. Paisius of the Holy Mountain. And I'm sure many of you have already read this story before. For those of you who haven't, I think you're in for a treat. To me, it's one of the best stories I've ever read in terms of understanding God's providence and how mystical it is, in a sense, and how we can miss things so easily in our own daily lives in terms of how God is working. So bear with me. It's about two and a half to three pages long. St. Paisius told us the following story, wishing to give us an example of the way God looks after His children. While many times we get angry at Him and do not understand His actions, an ascetic was praying to God, asking Him to reveal why the righteous and pious people are miserable and suffer unjustly, whereas the unrighteous and sinful ones are rich and contented. While he was asking God to reveal to him this mystery, he heard a voice say to him, Do not ask to comprehend what your mind and power of knowledge cannot grasp, and do not examine the mysteries of God, as His judgments are like an endless ocean. However, since you wish to know, go out there in the world and watch carefully the people, and you will be able to understand a small part of God's judgment. Then you will know that God's prudent governing is unexplored and inscrutable. When the ascetic heard all of this, he left the world, And after walking for a while, he reached a meadow. There was a fountain nearby and an old tree with a large hollow. He hid inside the hollow in order to watch the busy street passing by the meadow. After a while, a rich man passed by riding his horse. He stopped by the fountain to drink some water and to rest. While he was sitting there, he took a purse out of his pocket containing 100 gold coins and he started counting them. When he finished counting, he mistakenly left the purse on the grass instead of putting it in his pocket. After he ate, he rested and slept for a while, and then he took off without realizing that he had left his purse and the hundred gold coins on the grass. After some time, another passerby appeared. He stopped by the fountain, and when he saw the purse with the gold coins, he took it and left running into the fields. A few minutes later, a third man came along. As he was tired, he too went by the fountain to drink some water and to sit sit and to eat a piece of bread. 
As this poor man was eating, the rich man came back to look for his purse and the hundred gold coins. He had an extremely angry look on his face and went straight to him, shouting in a rage and demanding his money. The poor man, though, who had no idea about the purse and the gold coins, assured him that he had not seen it. Then the rich man began beating him up so badly that he finally killed him. He searched through his clothes and found nothing, and he left feeling very sad at what he had done. The ascetic, who was watching this incident sitting inside the hollow of a tree, was astonished. He felt very sad, and he began to cry, feeling sorry for the unjust death of a poor man, and he prayed to God, Lord, what is the meaning of this your will? Let me know how your kindness can tolerate such an injustice. Someone lost the coins, another man found them, and a third man was unjustly murdered. As he was praying and crying, an angel of the Lord appeared and told him, Do not feel sorry for the poor man, nor think that this incident is not the will of God. Bear in mind that some things occur either because God permits them to, or in order to instruct people, or because to cause them to, to happen for their benefit. Now listen, the man who lost the golden coins is the next door neighbor of the one who found them. He owned a farm worth 100 gold coins. This rich man, who was a very greedy person, forced his neighbor to sell his farm to him for only 50 gold coins, only half of what it was worth. The poor man, feeling helpless, prayed to God to punish his unjust neighbor on his behalf, and God rewarded him double. The second man, the tired and poor one who was unjustly killed, had once committed a murder. He had honestly repented and lived the rest of his life according to God's will, and he constantly prayed to God to forgive him, and he said to him, God... Let me have the same kind of death as I once gave. Of course, our Lord had forgiven him since the first time he expressed his repentance for a sinful act. However, he was moved by the sensitivity and righteousness of this man, who not only tried to live according to his will, but also wished to be paid back for his sinful act. So God fulfilled his wish and gave him the chance to experience a violent death as he himself had asked for, and took, him to even, and took him to heaven by his side, granting him a glorious wreath for his deep and responsive repentance. The third man, the greedy one, who lost the gold coins and committed the murder, had fallen into two sins, greed and stinginess. God permitted a violent murder to be committed, so that he may experience pain, which in turn would lead him to repentance. The sin of murder turned out to be the cause for his decision to leave the world and to become a monk. So where and under what circumstances do you see that God was unjust, merciless, and cruel? You should not examine God's judgments and His ways, as He always makes them correctly and according to the way He knows, whereas you misjudge them and find them unjust. You should also know that many things happen with God's will for reasons we do not know. Therefore, the right thing for us to say is, Righteous art thou, O Lord, and righteous are thy ways. 
It's amazing because when you think of this story, we have to begin to apply it and apply what we read in the gospel to our own lives. Because we go through life and things all the time happen to us and things happen to people we love and people we know and even people we don't know and we feel terribly, terribly bad for circumstances and things that happen. But how do we know what God's will is? And we struggle with that. We want answers. We want to know reasons. We want to know uh, what the purpose is of these things. And, 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 and unfortunately, we're not going to get those answers. St. Paisus of the Holy Mountain and other places goes on to say that we have to put all of our faith and trust in God, even if we experience something or see something else happening, that we have no idea as to why. Even if it's something tragic. We can look at it, we can do the sign of the cross, we can say, Lord, have mercy, but then we have to say, Lord, your ways are not my way. I don't know. I don't understand why these things happen or why this is happening to me. But in all things we know that God is loving and merciful. He's compassionate. He desires our salvation. So everything that happens, happens because He permits it. Now sometimes He permits things to happen because of our own evil wrongdoing. Because of the sins we commit. So when we suffer because of that, we don't give credit to God. We have to give credit to ourselves for our own suffering. For our stupidity. For the choices that we make. But all these things that take place outside of that... Are, are, are happening because of God's will and His providence, His intervention, and to reveal Himself as Lord and God so that we too can go to Him in every and all circumstance of life and say, Lord, I believe and worship Him. Amen.